Chicago, Illinois, Vern Gagne presents Super Clash 3. From the University of Illinois, Chicago Pavilion in Chicago, Illinois, these matches are sanctioned by the AWA, the WCCW, the CWA, and the CWF. And now let's go to ringside and your host for this evening, Larry Nelson. Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, here we are. It's the day of All In, a big wrestling event happening in Chicago. So our review this week, of course, you picked a big event that happened in Chicago. But in 1988, we're talking, of course, about Super Clash 3. A very similar event, if you really think about it. A bunch of different organizations coming together to put on a show. Yeah, at this point in time, Vance was pretty much running things to some degree. The uh, Crockett's had merged in with uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling and Florida Championship Wrestling to form WCW. So all these other promotions, World Class, Tennessee, with uh, out of Memphis with Jerry the King Lawler, and uh, the, the, AWA. A- the AWA, those last remaining ones, the you know Mid Atlantic area, they come together for this Super Show to yeah. try to compete to some degree, and uh, they had done it a few other times, but this would actually turn out to be the very last time. Well, no, they did one after. So did they do one they after? Did a Super Clash Four. So yeah, in the original idea, they had uh, like the AWA and NWA work together on like the first one and maybe the second one. Yeah. But now we're on to the third one, and it's 1988. But before we get there, uh, what do you have for us from the news desk this week? Uh, it's the day of all in, so let's just talk about it. Let's go ahead and give predictions, what we think, what's going to happen. Well, you can look over the card quickly here. Kenny Omega, the IWGP champion, is taking on Pentagon Jr. in a non-titles match. I'm uh, going with Pentagon. I see Pentagon in WC- WWE in the future as well, by the way. But I- I'm going with Pentagon on this one. For this crowd, I think Kenny Omega has to win. Uh, really? Yeah, for this crowd, Kenny Omega has to win. So, If not, I mean, I can see them doing... Well, what we saw at uh, Super Clash 3, kind of a compromise ending, because you need both guys to look good. Oh, yeah. Well, I think Kenny Omega can kind of take a little blow to his ego. He's number one on the PWI 500, so he's he's already won this week. He's already got one victory. So it needs to be... Well, you know, hey, PWI going right back to our Super Clash uh, here. We have the over-budget Battle Royal to determine who gets to face... The Ring of Honor World Champion Jay Lethal. We have Jordan Grace, Moose, Rocky Romero, Colt Cabana, Ethan Page, Brian Cage, Billy Gunn, Jimmy Jacobs, Marco Stunt, Brandon Cutler, Punishment Martinez, and Austin Gunn are the announced competitors. Austin Gunn is Billy Gunn's son. So, oh man, father and son, father and son. I see both of them eliminating each other. Now, I think the uh, the rumors are going to be true. We're going to see Adrian Neville uh, under a different name, obviously, and uh, he's going to win. He's going to challenge Jay Lethal, and I think he's going to beat Jay Lethal for the Ring of Honor World Championship later on in the night. I'm going to go with Chris Jericho. If it's not Jericho, I'm going to go with my buddy Moose. Man, Moose is he's a badass. I, I'd love to see him get somewhat of a uh, surprise here. 
But if it is a surprise person, though, I'm going to go with Jericho. The Briscoe brothers will battle SoCal Uncensored, that's Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky in a tag team match. The Battle Royale and the tag team match are happening on the Zero Hour pre-show, so those will be first. I assume the Briscoe brothers will go over here. Yeah, I'm going to go with Briscoes as well. Christopher Daniels will take on actor Stephen Amell, who had previously wrestled at a SummerSlam with Stardust, so a friend of Cody Rhodes on the card that he helped book, so... Christopher Daniels. Yes, 47-year-old Christopher Daniels, world-traveled star. I don't think he'll be losing to Stephen Amell, but there could be a run-in or some hijinks or something. Something punk gets involved, something. An awesome six-man tag team match with Rey Mysterio Phoenix, who is Pentagon Jr.'s uh, brother, Bandito, with Theo Rossi taking on the Golden Elite, which are the Young Bucks, and Kota Ibushi. It should be an amazing match, and I think... Um, well, Matt Jackson, Nick Jackson are involved in the booking of this event, so I would think that the Golden Elite would have to go over. See, I'm... Soon to be in WWE Rey Mysterio, probably, so... I'm gonna go with Rey. I gotta follow Rey and Phoenix, man. I feel like they... I, I'm, I'm going with Rey, man. Joey Janela is taking on Hangman Page in a Chicago street fight. Uh, Hangman Page, I would say. But for this crowd, actually, no, Joey Janela is probably going to win this match. I'm going to go with you on that one. We have Okada taking on Marty Skrull in just a singles match. Okada should easily win this match. I agree. Completely. Then we have Madison Rain, Britt Baker, Chelsea Green, and Tessa Blanchard in a four-way women's match. Tessa. I got to go with my my buddy Tessa. Madison Rain, maybe. But I, I'm, I'm thinking Tessa Blanchard. I'm going to take Chelsea Green as my pick. Laurel Van Ness former Knockouts champion. And then the main event, Nick Magnus Aldis will take on Cody Rhodes with Brandy Rhodes for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. What's going to happen is we will finally get the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. The 10 pounds of gold right back around the waist of a Rhodes. They would be the first father and son combination to ever be the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. That's true. We've had brothers, but we've never had a father and son, so that is very true. And so, for that reason alone, I think you have to go ahead and do the title change. I and agree. then he can just drop it down the road. Yeah. Down the roads somewhere. Billy Corgan knows that he has. he's only going to win in this deal. What I'm looking at is, do you think Ring of Honor is like, eh, we want to give the rub to... You know, Billy Corgan doing the upstart NWA thing, or do we just want to you know, not go there and just do our our thing with uh, with New Japan? I think he's dropping it so quickly. Who? Okay. Well, who would you see him dropping it to? Probably right back to Aldis. Really? Probably. I mean, just to... Because Aldis is not, you know, a part of the Ring of Honor roster. He's right. not a part of the New Japan roster. He is... He is an NWA guy. Uh, right. So you would want it on a guy that you know is going to be available anytime. That's true. So, or just someone else in in the system. Maybe they've got something worked out, and it's going to be you know Cody Rhodes is going to have a long title reign, you know. But uh, I I just don't. I'm not sure about that. I just don't see what Ring of Honor has to gain because see you you see where I'm coming from on that. Well, yeah, it devalues your own world title when you, you multiply companies together and promotions together. And then you actually put titles up for grabs. If you don't do it the way Superclash did it, <laughs> and combine champions, 
which one's more important, which one's this, which one's that, and, and you know, which one carries weight, which one doesn't mean shit. And I, there's going to, there will be someone who ends up promotion-wise coming out of this butthurt. I don't, I don't, I don't really think so because I don't think that the NWA is not on the level of competitor to Ring of Honor and New Japan and AAA and all the other promotions involved with All In. Do not feel like the NWA is on their level. I mean, that's just I'm being. No, they don't. Well, right. I feel like they it's below them, so they don't really care. But in in Billy Billy's Billy Corgan is shooting for that. Well, he one he one day wants, wants to, to get there, and yeah. he has to start by getting it on somebody other than Magnus. He needs names on his roster that'll show up. I mean, I so I don't, but I don't know how generous Ring of Honor and New Japan are going to be with their shared talent. Do you see James Ellsworth being a surprise entry? Because he's not really doing anything with WWE anymore. He's back out again. He was in, he's out. He's in, he's out. He's in, he's out. Yeah, he might be one of the three. I'm I saying, think, yeah, you could probably give one of those three spots, uh, one to a comedy guy, sure. And, I mean, you got to have somebody come in that you know is going to be a star, but stands no fucking chance of winning. So Yeah, but you could put someone like... Uh, PCO, Pierre Ouellette's in there. You could put, you could put Glacier in there. I mean, you could true. just go. You could just grab anybody for that. That's true. Battle Royal that spot. That's true. Well, we'll just have to see. We'll see. And if we're totally wrong about all this, I can just delete it. The that's cat, Ernest thing. Miller. Uh, you know, you throw him in there. Yeah, I don't. Th- I don't think that's going to be happening. But okay. Well, I mean, somebody call my mama. I'm about to whoop his ass. That's all I gotta say. So we go back to December 13th, 1988 from the UIC Pavilion in Chicago, which holds 9,500 for boxing and wrestling tonight for Super Clash 3. It would draw 1,672 people. Packed house here tonight. Hanging from the raft. It's the only AWA show to be broadcast on pay-per-view, not on closed circuit or just held for their fans. This joined the World Class Wrestling Association, the Powerful Women of Wrestling, the CWA, the Championship Wrestling Association, Jerry Lawler. The UWF, wasn't it? Or that's the former UWF. Jerry Lawler and Jerry Jarrett would merge together uh, to make the USWA after this. So tonight we start out with Larry Nelson welcoming us ringside with Tony the Tiger himself, Lee Marshall. Who does play-by-play? Oh, gosh. Come on! First mistake of the night. Come on, really? He's awful. He is... I enjoyed it. He's passable at best. I enjoyed it. Marshall believes there are a lot of Kerry Von Erich fans, as well as Jerry Lawler fans. Somewhere in these 1,700 people, there are some fans. I believe them. Larry Nelson is excited about the lingerie Battle Royal Street Fight coming up later tonight. Ray Stevens and Lee Marshall are our commentators starting out for the night. Ray the Crippler Stevens. Now, that's like pulling Dusty Rhodes and saying, hey, I'm going to sit you down here and let you do commentary. Why would you not have a legend like that wrestle on this card? That was that was one flaw I saw so far, right out of the gate. Well, the first of many. One of the good things tonight, Gary Michael Capetta, they got him to be the ring announcer. So that's right. They did World's score. most dangerous ring announcer. Mike Enos is one of the refs for tonight. Mike Enos, uh, most known for being in the ring when Scott Hall invaded the WCW and the New World Order angle started in uh, Monday Nitro history. The RPM's Tommy Lane, who's the blonde, and Mike Davis, who's the brunette, 
are teaming with Cactus Jack and will take on the Guerreros. All the Guerreros. Not Eddie. No. All the old Guerreros. Chavo Classic, Hector, and Mondo. See, I've always thought Hector was the best Guerrero. And that uh, that is a controversial statement that is going to piss a lot of people off. I just thought Hector was always the best out of Eddie, Chavo Sr., Chavo Jr. I, I thought Chavo Classic was the best out of this group tonight. The guy ringside that has to take away all the Guerrero stuff is pretty funny looking because he gets loaded down with all their uh, bandito hats and their belts and all their their ponchos and all their stuff. This guy's got a load of laundry taken with him. He went out back and sold it cheap. Well, he would need to sell it cheap because there's only so many people there with money, I assume. <laughs> Hector head scissors the RPMs. Mondo takes on Cactus Jack for a moment who is teaming with the RPMs, and then eats some right hands before being tossed outside. Cactus gets back body dropped on concrete, which is turning into a weekly occurrence on this podcast of Mick Foley landing on concrete. A very young and fit Mick Foley. This is a thin Mick Foley. He looks like 160 pounds Mick Foley. Is that a fair estimate to say? He looks good. He looks healthy. He's not totally broken here. Yeah, He's moving good, too. The Guerreros triple-team Cactus and work his left leg. They wishbone him. Then Chavo and the blonde RPM, who was Tommy Lane, tags in. Chavo head-scissors him, keeps it locked on when they hit the ground. The RPMs miss a double clothesline, and Chavo hits a cross to both of the RPMs. Both teams do the dog pile spot, where everyone just piles on everybody to get a pinfall, but can't get one for some reason. Nope. Cactus comes back in, goes to work with Chavo. Cactus takes Chavo to their corner, and they work on him with strikes and kicks. Chavo tags in Hector, who drop kicks the RPMs and Cactus. All six men brawl. Mike Enos loses all control. Hector hits a planche of the RPMs on the outside. Chavo hits a moonsault off the top turnbuckle of Tommy Lane, who was just standing there waiting for this, and gets the win. And then we get a look at Cactus Jack, who seems mildly upset at this loss. Uh, not too concerned. By the way, the production value... Uh, tonight, uh, yeah, I was giving ECW a hard time for Hardcore Heaven 97. Uh, yeah, Super Clash 3 might have been worse really? than that. Really? Yeah. Both of them are very bad looking as far as no lights on the outside. They didn't even have guardrails for this event. So No, they set up tables. No, they set up those little movie theater ropes. Where that was well, yeah, all but that. between the entryway, they had tables. You didn't see that? Oh, wonderful. You didn't yeah. see that? I didn't notice that. I I couldn't see because there's no light outside of the ring. Well, also, this is the 80s, so it's not like we had spotlights. I understand that, but ima- take a look at what the WWF was doing in 1988 and, and look at the production difference, you know? Or even the NWA, for that matter. They all looked better than this. This They might have had three cameras tops here. I thought they had two for a long time, but I think they might have had three. They kept it on the main camera most of the time. The hard camera they, did most of the work. I'm yeah, and they had that. just no lighting outside of the ring. so You didn't see a lot of out-of-the-ring stuff either because of that. Well, yeah, and the lack of guardrails and lack of uh, you know ringside mats probably dissuaded a lot okay, of guys. Listen, back in the 80s, you didn't have ringside okay, mats. Okay, Bill Watts, yeah. Larry Nelson is backstage with Nina Ferrari. You would know her better as Ivory in the That's WWF. Right. She's the PAL World Champion. WWE Hall of Famer. The Beverly Hills Lingerie Battle Royal Street Fight is for ten grand. Wow. 
This is uh, Vince Russo stipulations here, <laughs> where you just pile them on top of each other, and uh, she wants to win. The WCCW light heavyweight title is up next, with Eric Embry taking on Double J, Jeff Jarrett. A very, very young Jeff Jarrett. Oh, ain't he great? They swap hammerlock attempts, as light heavyweights would do. They wrestled like big men, and they there was nothing... This was not Flying Brian style here. This was... Uh, okay, well, have you ever seen Jeff Jarrett wrestle... Flying Brian style. No, but if you tell me they're light heavyweights, I just get the impression based on what I grew up with. When you okay. tell me light heavyweight or cruiserweight, I get a different idea. So. Fair enough, fair enough. Other than just what they weigh on a scale, I expect a different kind of wrestling. They just reverse each other's attempts at hip tosses or hammerlocks. Eric Embry hits a nasty clothesline to Jarrett. Jarrett returns with one of his own, misses a crossbody, and rolls outside. Embry works the bad shoulder of Jarrett, but eats a big boot when he whips him to the turnbuckle. A missile dropkick from Jarrett, but oh man, he hurt his shoulder some more. Man, you did it to your own detriment. A sunset flip attempt, a backslide attempt, a small package attempt, all by Jarrett, but Embry kicks out of all of them, reverses a sunset flip. One, two, three, we have a new champion, a new light heavyweight champion for the WCCW, which world class would not exist champion. much longer anyway. But no, world uh, class was on its way out pretty quickly. Congrats, he did it. They have an interview after the match with Embry. He wanted to go check on his opponent, Jeff Jarrett, even though I thought Embry was supposed to be the heel here. He's, he's a caring individual. I he's mean, just a nice guy. Yeah, it's back where it belongs, man. I'm the guy that went to South Africa, won the belt, and brought it back. Just like you said, I'm the guy that healed it more times than anybody, and I've healed it longer than anybody. Hey, it's a dang shame Jeff hurt his shoulder, but hey, that's the breaks. Anytime you want to rematch Jeff Jarrett, you're the first in line. Now, I was supposed to do an interview, and I want to talk about how happy I am, but man, I'm happy. But let's cut this off. I want to go get a doctor and see how Jeff Jarrett is. The Syrian terrorist, whose real name is Janine Jouet, who is Palestinian and Glow, is with Larry. She's from the east, and she's hot as the desert sands. Larry doesn't know what to say. He says he's disoriented and confused. Yes, now Wayne Bloom is here. Wayne Bloom is taking on none other than the boogie-woogie man, Jimmy Valiant. The match begins. He hits Wayne Bloom with lariats, drops an elbow, gets the pin in 24 seconds, and goes right back to boogie. He boogies right out of the arena, Hey, man, that's what you got to do. Well, famously, uh, legend has it most people on this card were stiffed. They did not get their pay for the night. So if you're not going to get paid, you might as well make it quick and get out of there. So a lot of people were complaining on WWE television about uh, Kevin Owens got buried in his pay-per-view match at SummerSlam. He lost so quick to uh, Braun Strowman. I said, well, he got paid the same amount as everybody else that went and had a 20-minute match. So, yeah, it was bad for his character. But as far as, I still got paid the same amount, and I did the least For an amount. easy night to work. Yeah. I mean. Larry is with Dave McClain, who is just a class act. You can tell this guy is just so creepy. He's in a suit. He just looks like a shyster. He's there with Bambi, uh, another lady from POW. Bambi knows there's a lot of competition out there. She says she's going right after Peggy Lee Leathers. That's right. It's Iceman King Parsons. Oh, Iceman King Parsons. Sorry. Yeah. And Brickhouse Brown, who both of these guys... Uh, didn't, I guess, coordinate their wardrobes as they came out looking almost identical in their blue, their light blue, and their hats. Yeah. It's for the Texas Heavyweight Championship, which is being defended tonight in Chicago. 
So it's world class, baby. Iceman King Parsons' hair is something to admire. You talk about pro wrestling haircuts. Uh, King Parsons had it going on. He Ice- had everything. Iceman had been a long-standing world-class character for uh, as far as I can remember when it started uh, till the day it closed. Brickhouse Brown shoves Parsons, shoulder tackles him. The Iceman gets dropkicked by Brickhouse. Brickhouse hits some more shoulder tackles before attempting a backslide pinning attempt. Iceman hits a high knee to Brickhouse. High knee! And a short-arm clothesline for a near-fall. A snap suplex gets another near fall for Iceman. Vern Gagne has joined Marshall on commentary for this match, but I didn't realize it until about halfway through. We get a roundhouse punch from Iceman that gets a near fall. Iceman tries a pile driver, but gets back body dropped out of it. Brickhouse fires up on Iceman with kicks to the midsection and punches. Brickhouse hits a flying body press, but Iceman gets a foot on the ropes. Brickhouse thinks he's won, but Iceman puts knucks on in clear view of the ref, Patrick. You did not catch this one. Nope. And just nails Brickhouse in the face with his knucks and retains his precious Texas title in Chicago. I uh, I wear, I love this match, but I just still do not think that this was Iceman's best match. What is your thoughts on it? Uh, this was awful. This was, Really? Uh, so far, this has been one of the worst shows that we've reviewed. Uh, no, it's, been it's really not. Terrible. Are you serious? Yes. Even with the Guerreros? Come that was on. probably one of the better matches on the night, and that's pretty sad. All right, we're moving forward. Yes. Lee Marshall interviews Iceman King Parsons. He says he didn't care about Outhouse Brown. He says he taught him everything, but not everything, because he's still got some tricks up his sleeves, and like Mama says, it bees that way sometimes. That's right. I told you before I knew I had to get on the plane and come up here. I didn't have to worry about Outhouse Brown, you understand? Because he's Come straight ahead. I told you, Brown, everything you know, sucker, I'll taught you. But remember, I'm the teacher. I only teach you what I want you to know. Not everything. <laughs> like Mama says, it bees that way sometimes. Have mercy, you move that poop. And it bees that way, the Texas heavyweight champion, Iceman King Parsons. Larry Nelson is with Pocahontas, another great name. My mom always said that, too, you know. Larry Nelson is with Pocahontas and Brandy May. Brandy says all the clothes are coming off. Pocahontas says she's going to war dance all over that ring. It's a mixed six-man tag match next, as the AWA tag team and women's titles are all on the line on this match, but it's not clearly explained to the referees or the commentators about the rules of this match, so it would lead to a really weird finish. The women can only wrestle the women, the men can only wrestle the men, but both the tag titles and the women's championship are going to be defended, and the winning team gets both. No, that's that's what you would think, but that's not how it really happened. Really? That's correct. Apparently, if the men are wrestling and get a pinfall, that's for the tag team belt only. Really? It's not one team takes all. It's apparently split between the two. And they make it abundantly clear after this match, like the commentator, like Diamond Dallas Page comes back out and reminds us that his guys are still champion. And everyone was confused. The wrong guys left. They took the belts. I mean, they they left with the belts. Possession is nine tenths of the law, right? Derek Dukes and Ricky Rice are the top guns. They're with Wendy Richter of WWF fame, who had been screwed out of her title and kicked to the curb. 
They're taking on Bad Company, which is Paul Diamond, who would go on to be Max Moon, and Pat Tanaka. These two teamed as Orient Express, with Paul Diamond being uh, Kato. And they're with Medusa as their female companion. And Diamond Dallas Page, out of everyone in this group of uh, wrestlers and managers, the biggest star is Diamond Dallas Page. It's amazing what happened ten years after this, where all these people would be. That's true. DDP grabs the mic and says, Wendy winning the belt was a fluke. He cuts a promo on the Twins and the Bears as he forgets which town he's in and then quickly corrects to mention the Bears because he's in Chicago, uh, not Minnesota. So he cut a promo on the wrong sports team and then quickly changed. The teams just start brawling. Mike Enos, again, has no control. The heels get thrown into each other. The Top Guns backdrop Tanaka for a near fall. Duke sits a reverse elbow for a near fall. Medusa distracts Enos, and this man gets distracted by everything. A shoulder tackle to Tanaka, followed by a drop kick for a near fall. Paul Diamond gets a tag and takes over on Dukes. Medusa smacks Dukes. Tanaka headbutts him in the corner. Wendy gets the tag for the faces, so that means Medusa must come into the ring. She snaps suplexes Richter, but Richter gives Medusa's face an introduction to the mat as she slams it down, but misses a dropkick to her, then hits a sloppy powerbomb, which I almost thought she was going to break Medusa's neck. We almost had tragedy here as Medusa slipped out of Wendy Richter's hands. Enos loses control because they only have two cameras. We can't keep up with the action, so I have no idea what's going on. Tanaka fucks this up here as he comes in. Crescent kicks Richter first, which is what he meant to do. But it was supposed to be one of those Medusas holding Richter to get kicked. And it's one of those he kicks Medusa. He kicks his own teammate. She spins out of it, per se. But she didn't at first. She did not. So she gets kicked in the gut. That's not good enough for him, so he's like, keep holding her, I'm gonna try it again. Then he kicks his own lady in the head, and Richter pins Medusa after Tanaka crescent kicks Wendy Richter. And causes a slight wardrobe malfunction for Medusa as she goes to the ground. She is scrambling to make sure she doesn't fall out of her top. Derek Duke and Ricky Rice spanks Medusa, wonderful, before Wendy Richter tries to drag her back into the ring. Mike Enos didn't understand the stip, so the Top Guns are announced as the champs and walk out with the belts, but it won't be officially recognized. On the replay, you can see that Medusa had a wardrobe malfunction, as I mentioned. When Lee Marshall speaks with Medusa, she yells at him, calls him a scumbag, and she never needed a man in her corner. Which would be true. Medusa then slaps Tanaka, and then Paul Diamond walks away. Paul Diamond calls her a bimbo. Tanaka says she's out of the Diamond Exchange. Well, then let's hear what you have to say about this match. Well, wait a minute. You had the tag team champions of the world in your corner. I came in here to help you. Talk about talking with you, huh? What are you, you talking about? You want to be in my match, and I'm going to have that just slapped Pat Tanaka. Paul Diamond trying to hold her back. And now Medusa going at... Get out of my way. Let me tell you something, Bimbo. You were never anything. You're out of Diamond Dallas Page and Bad Company. You're nothing. You're a loser. This firing would be the best thing to happen to Medusa tonight. The Diamond Exchange are upset because they don't know where their belts are. They were supposed to get their belts back, and so they're really pissed off. They want their belts. Everyone's confused about where the belts are. That's because the wrong tag team walked out with them. I think the, uh, I, see, I still say both titles were on the line, both titles changed. Larry Nelson is with the world-class heavyweight champion, Kerry Von Erich, and his daughter, Holly. This promo, ooh, not good. And he would repeat it, I'd say, three times tonight. 
as he says, There's only one Eiffel Tower, there's only one Mona Lisa, so how can there be two world champions? Kerry Von Eric, a big favorite. This crowd's going to go nuts when you walk out there to face Jerry Lawler. And who is this gorgeous young lady you got with you? Well, this is my little girl, Holly. But you know, I, I have such high expectations tonight. I'm planning on taking that title. I've come here for one reason, and that is to show the world that there's only one world champion. Um, the thing is, there's, there's one world, there's one Eiffel Tower, there's one um, uh, Mona Lisa. How can there be two world champions? And so we're here to finish it tonight. And I'll tell you what, Lawler. I'm coming fist and fire. So no game's going to be tonight because I'm coming for you and I'm coming to beat you because I will prove to the world that I am the one and only World Heavyweight Champion, the United World Heavyweight Champion. Gary, I've already been out there and I can tell you this, you got a big home court advantage. They're ready to go nuts when you come walking out there. Well, thank you. you know, I just say God bless them. I'm, I'm so happy that it's here in Chicago because Chicago is a, is a great place. But hey, Texas, I wish you, we were there. Uh, all of America, I wish we were there, but we can't be. Well, we're in Texas on pay-per-view, and ladies and gentlemen, good luck to Kerry Von Eric. Let's get back to the ring and the action. Kerry says he wishes we were in Texas, and Larry reminds him, hey, we're on pay-per-view. You can get us in Texas, <laughs> as Kerry seemed uh, a little out of it here, and I think uh, the rumor was that he, he was pretty much out of it. This was only two years removed from his uh, motorcycle accident, and uh, I think uh, yeah. the downfall of Kerry Von Eric had... The spiraling of well, out of control had I've begun. Got, I took some notes, actually, personally, of, of Kerry that we'll get into. The disputed International TV Championship is up next, as rugged Ronnie Garvin will Hands take on... Hands stone, buddy. Greg Gagne. Gagne takes it to Garvin to start the match. Stanley Blackburn is the president of the AWA. I will never complain about Jack Tunney again, because Stanley Blackburn is the worst president I've ever seen. He is stupid. He is ringside. He's making sure everything's on the up and up. He took the belt away in a screwy finish these two had a few weeks earlier, so that's why it's being held up. Greg's offense, boy. I don't know that I've seen a worse wrestler on this show, uh, the Retro Wrestling Podcast, Greg Gagne. I think David Arquette might be better than Greg Gagne. His offense is so basic, I can't call moves because this is first day of wrestling school stuff that he would do. Garvin headbutts him, lands some chops and some punches. The crowd is totally behind Ronnie Garvin. They don't care for uh, Greg Gagne at all. Garvin bites Gagne. Gagne chops really aren't that devastating uh, compared to Garvin's. He corner punches Garvin. They go tumbling out of the ring. Garvin smashes Greg's head on the announce desk before Greg throws him into the post. Marty Miller, the ref, has the quickest 10 count in history. You know, I usually complain about 10 counts taking too long. This one flute was an actual 10 count. He really just stood there and went one, two, three. And Greg Gagne slips back in the ring, gets the count out win, which means, congratulations, you are now the international TV champion for a wrestling promotion that I doubt was international. Uh, so, congrats, Greg Gagne. Your dad got you your belt back uh, with a countout over rugged Ronnie Garvin, who would be at WrestleMania the very next year. So. Making his father proud. Stanley Blackburn's headed to the ring with the belt as Garvin and Greg continue to brawl, as uh, Garvin was not happy with this result. Hands of Stone just looks confused, and he stands around after the match is called. Lee Marshall says, Greg... I've seen you in a lot of wrestling matches, and boy, this one was intense. Greg says anytime he wants a shot, he can have one, but not right now because he is out of breath. He is sucking wind. Garvin wants a shot now. He gets in the ring, and Greg just keeps on talking. And then Greg says, oh, all the crowd was rooting for Ronnie Garvin, and that's their choice, but guess what? 
I'm a Minnesota Viking and I just steamrolled the Chicago Bears. And then he runs away like a true heel. Ron Garvin is one of the great competitors in the sport today. And that was a dogfight out there. Unfortunately, I beat there. Fortunately for me, I beat the count back in and I've got the title. He's over yelling here that this isn't done. Well, Garvin, anytime you want a shot at that, baby, whether it's here in Chicago, wherever it is, you can have it. Ron Garvin apparently ready to take up the challenge right now. Referee Marty Miller trying to calm Ron Garvin down. Garvin says you stole the belt. You saw the match where Russell has a 10 count to get back in. I was out. He didn't have to come out for me. That's his fault. He blew it. Well, Ray Stevens and I, we said, God, you must be nuts to start exchanging right hands with Ron Garvin. But you must have really been pumped up for this one, Greg. I really was. You know, since this has been held up by Stanley Blackburn in the last, ma last match we had, yeah, I've, I've trained hard and I was ready for this one. The fans here, they like Ron Garvin. That's their prerogative. He's a good athlete. He reminds me a lot of the Chicago Bears. But brother, tonight I was the Minnesota Vikings, and we just steamrolled Chicago. They cut out on this WWE Network version uh, the highlights of the feud between Von Erich and Lawler because on the actual uh, tape of this or whatever, they show highlights here, but it's cut out. So we go straight to Lawler's promo. Talks about Kerry's motorcycle wreck, but doesn't talk about his strategy tonight. Can I ask you about your strategy tonight? Obviously, he's had trouble with his leg. Is that what you're going for? Well, I'm going to tell you something. I've wrestled Kerry Von Erich a couple times in the past, and initially, that was my strategy. I thought, because I had heard from all sorts of sources about, of course, everybody knows that he had, had been in a serious motorcycle accident, had had surgery, extensive surgery on his ankle, and I thought that that would be the route to take. But I found out that either, uh, either it's completely 100% well, or either he's devised a way to protect that leg very well. So I'm not going to come out here and say right now exactly what strategy I'm going to take. But I will tell you this. No, I'm not going to go after that leg because, as I found in the past, that's not the route to take with Kerry Von Erich. You know, he's a big man. He's a very strong man. He's got muscles in places where most people don't even have places. And that can be, and that is, I'm just going to give you that little bit of information that can be used against Kerry Von Erich as well as it can work in his favor. Ladies and gentlemen, the comments of Jerry the King Lawler as we await the main event. Let's go to the ring. Now it's time for the POW, the powerful women of wrestling street fight lingerie battle royal. David McClain, the creep, is on commentary with Lee Marshall. The women just brawl. You can be eliminated by going over the top or being stripped down to your lingerie, which is 1988 lingerie, not very shocking here, as most of them were in 90s. Nina is focused on the terrorist. Lori Lynn is eliminated first by going over the ropes. The crowd likes Pocahontas ripping the clothes off a of Luna Vachon as uh, one of the other... The only other famous uh, combatant in this brawl. Pocahontas is stripped and eliminated. Nina is eliminated. The terrorist rips Brandy May's top off, but she's not eliminated yet. Bambi and Peggy Lee scrap. The terrorist and Brandy May go at it. Peggy Lee and Bambi eliminate each other as Bambi takes her over the ropes and nearly lands her head on the concrete as they stumble to the ground. Now all that is left is the terrorist Luna and Brandy May. Luna gets knocked off the turnbuckle by Brandy May, so she's out. Now it's down to the terrorist and Brandy May. Brandy rips at the terrorist pants. It's a chance of take it off, take it off. Wonderful. All 1,700 people. Very classy here. The announcers say they're yelling for Brandy May. They try to cover the crowd here being perverts. The terrorist chokes Brandy May with her stockings, dumps her out, knocks her off the apron for 10 grand and a new pair of stockings. 
The terrorist then cuts a promo in gibberish and throws the mic at Dave McLean and takes a check and runs away in a match that was 10 years ahead of its time in the WWF. Lee Marshall tries to interview her, and she just screams into the mic and runs away again. We go to Larry with the leather lady, then Luna grabs the mic and gives her a Luna Vachon promo. Sort of sounds like the ultimate warrior in a way. (laughs) Then a woman comes in and puts a snake on her, and this scares Larry. That was Medusa, by the way. Okay. Leather lady wants a shot at the belt. Lee Marshall holds a copy of PWI with a very young-looking Bill Apter. He's here to present Jerry the King Lawler Inspirational Wrestler of the Year Award. Then Lee looks confused as Jerry is nowhere to be found. Is he supposed to be here? Where, where is he? Are we giving this here now? What are we doing? So Lee just fills time as the crew looks for Jerry. Jerry never comes out. This is awful. And so Bill Apter just says, oh, well, I'll find him later. We'll do this later. Great. Great, effective use of your pay-per-view time. We go back to Larry Nelson, who's backstage with Sergeant Slaughter. Larry asks, what are the rules for this boot camp match? Slaughter says, no rules. You can do whatever you want. And he's coming for Colonel De Beers, who is a South African racist gimmick. Slaughter says, if you can't take the pain, go to the refrigerator and do what you gotta do. I have no idea what he meant by that. Go to the refrigerator and do what you gotta do. I guess that, that means, means this match sucks. <laughs> Capetta says the ref is here to just make a count. That's all he's doing. Well, that's mostly what a ref is for anyway, but he's not going to be DQing anybody. Somehow, Diamond Dallas Page is Colonel DeBeer's manager. Now, what does the Diamond stud here have anything to do with Colonel DeBeer's? I don't know. A South African racist and the Diamond Doll. As uh, DDP would be driving the uh, pink Cadillac for uh, Rhythm and Blues at uh, WrestleMania. So. That would be this WrestleMania, wouldn't it? Yeah. So, DDP was off off to the races after this. They saw the Super Clash 3 work and they said, that guy can drive a car. (laughs) Don't give him a uh, microphone, but he can drive a car with no problem. Slaughter just nails him with his riding cane for his. Is that what it's called? A riding cane? Is that. I'm not saying. What is it's it? A crop. It's a crop. What is a crop used for? It's for basically to whip the horse. Whip a horse. Okay. To See, get I'm, it to do what you want it to do. A riding crop. He yeah. Na- he nails. He nails the South African racist with that. De Beers gets some offense. Puts Slaughter's head in the buckles and chokes him with a belt. DDP hops on commentary and reminds us that bad company are still the champs. That stip earlier. Yeah, that, that didn't happen. Slaughter throws De Beers out and goes on the assault. De Beer picks up the guardrail rope holder, says there are no guardrails, there are just ropes, uh, like movie theater little... He picks up the holder part, the middle part, because there is no guardrail. The heavy part. Yeah, the heaviest part of the rope, and uh, smacks it onto Slaughter's back. Now, you know what's good strategy, Patrick, when when you put a helmet on? Instead of just taking a helmet and just smashing a guy with it, put it on your own head. And then and, just headbutt. And then ram your own head into the guy's chest and see who hurts more after you do that. Because that's what Colonel De Beers did here. He puts the helmet on and throws his head right into Slaughter's big gut. And so this is going to only hurt him. This is going to concuss him. But then he accidentally rams DDP with the helmet. Slaughter decks De Beers with the helmet and headbutts him four times with it on his head, as it should be. At least that makes some sense. But even then, I just swing it and hit it. You know, put yeah. it in my hand like a weapon. Yeah. The Slaughter Cannon Lariat. And then Slaughter throws on the Cobra Clutch, and that's it. Diamond Dallas Page climbs up on the ropes and waves for help to come and save Colonel De Beers. 
And it's General Adnan and Sheiky Baby, Slaughter's future friends in WWF. That's right. When he turned his back on America and joined Saddam Hussein, they came in and kicked Sergeant Slaughter's ass. Little did they know, they'd be best of friends in just a couple of years. Mike Enos takes a ref bump while the foreigners beat down the American hero. Who comes out to save this American? Why, the Guerreros, of course. <laughs> Much as we saw uh, little Petey Williams saving the American flag, here come the Guerreros. Mexico saves America here as the Guerreros save Sergeant Slaughter. So thanks. It's NAFTA. We're all working together here. Slaughter says he has to take down the whole world for the United States. He says they'll be six feet under if they mess with the U.S. So he's going to just kill these guys. It's all right, man. A tin hut. <laughs> Bill Apter finally found Jerry Lawler to give him that award. For whatever reason, the lights are super bright on these guys. What the fuck happened here? I don't know why they're so washed out. Well, it's got to be really bright so we can take pictures, pictures I assume, for yeah. PWI and all that. Apter says, Jerry, here's a plaque. Jerry says, I'm not going to say I deserve it, but I deserve it. <laughs> Bill Apter says he won't pick a winner tonight. Always... You know, you know, right down the middle. After will never give you, you know, never play favorites here. You know, no, that's, that's, never has. That's why Dean Malenko was the number one wrestler on the PWI 500 one year. The Samoan SWAT team, the SST, are taking on Steve Cox and Michael P.S. Hayes. The Freebirds explode. <laughs> yeah, Buddy Roberts is the manager of the Samoan SWAT team, which is Samu and Fatu Rikishi, a young Kish here. As Steve Cox's pants design is something to be admired. Man, 80s neon triangles. We it, love triangles and neon in the it 80s. It was. Hayes tries to get the crowd in the match by stomping the mat. Get all 1,700 of them into this one, Michael. The Samoans drop Steve Cox out of the ring near the announce table. Samoans just get the heat on Steve Cox forever, as Michael Hayes just did not want to do any work here. Fatu hits a stun gun to Steve Cox, put the magna claw on Steve Cox, but he fires up. And they double clothesline each other. Hayes gets a hot tag, cleans house. Cox takes on Samu while Hayes does corner punches on Fatu. Cox takes Samu to the floor and dives on him. Hayes hits the DDT to Rikishi, but Roberts, his old friend, as the Freebirds explode, and Roberts comes in and drills him with a foreign object. What is it? Oh my, it's the loaded wallet! The dreaded loaded wallet! No! Michael Hayes sells a wallet shot. And goes down for the three as the Samoan SWAT team get the win. As a little tear rolls down my cheek. Yes, the SWAT team would never drop these belts. They would just leave and go back to the NWA. So that's the story of these tag belts. Hayes lays in the ring forever to sell the wallet shot. And this is the part of the podcast where we have technical problems because we recorded this and I paused it while we went and watched All In the day of our recording and the rest of the recording messed up. And I would have known that sooner had I gotten to edit it sooner. So this is going to be the rest of the podcast is going to be just me, intern Alex. I will take you through the rest of Super Clash 3, 1988, as I really don't want to review this thing again. Sorry. So if you love Super Clash 3 and you need to hear Patrick's take on it, you can just message him at Patrick Young on Facebook. So Shiki Baby and Adnan get a promo here as they talk about taking down the United States. These two men are going to take down the entire country of the United States. Up next is the Indian Strap Match with Manny Fernandez, Raging Bull, taking on Wahoo McDaniel. 
For some reason, the IWGP champion Tatsumi Fujinami is here for some reason. Manny Fernandez, for some reason, goes on a racist tirade against Tatsumi Fujinami, and some of it is edited off the WWE Network. It's even worse than what he actually does say on the network, which is still pretty bad. I chased you all over Japan! Every champion around the U.S. is scared of the bull! It seems like you come to the U.S., you zipperhead, and you want to come up to me! You come in my presence! Wahoo puts the strap on, giggity. While Raging Bull waits to wrap the strap around his wrist, he's not as enthused as Wahoo is. They edit some of the commentary off here. As Wahoo is choking Raging Bull with the strap, I guess, can't have announcers talking about choking people, I guess. I don't know what they cut from the network. Fernandez lays in a nasty chop to Wahoo and then whips him with the strap a few times. This is a strap match with rules like the WWF where you have to hit all four corners to win. Raging Bull goes on offense for a while, Wahoo gets busted open over his eye from these belt shots, and he's bleeding pretty badly, but nothing like we'd see later on in the night. Raging Bull hits the first post, but Wahoo stops him from going to the other three. They just start chopping the shit out of each other. Fernandez starts bleeding now, and Wahoo clotheslines him with the strap. Wahoo hits two turnbuckles with his back and drags Raging Bull towards the third one and gets it, but Raging Bull low blows him as apparently Wahoo is allowed to hit the turnbuckles with his back and his neck and his head, where Fernandez has to use his hand. I don't know why the rules were different for both men, but that's what it was. Raging Bull then drops a knee off the second rope onto Wahoo. He walks around, hits three turnbuckles before trying a dive off the turnbuckle, and Wahoo counters it by pulling the Indian strap and causing Manny to fall to the mat. Wahoo then drags Raging Bull around and hits three turnbuckles. He's on the verge of winning. Then on the fourth one, Raging Bull kicks him, and Wahoo falls back into the fourth turnbuckle, and therefore, Wahoo McDaniels wins this Indian strap match thanks to Raging Bull kicking him into the post, which somehow won the match. Manny is not happy with this result, so they scrap after the bell. Manny lays in a lot of headbutts before Tatsumi Fujinami comes in and stops it. So, we have a tease of a program we will never get to see the conclusion of, and there you have it, a Indian strap match with some... Uh, Racist Asian commentary at the start of it, and uh, some blood, and the same WWF hit the post thing with a slight variation on the rules. Apparently, if you just touch them with any part of your body, that counts as a touching of the turn post. Lee Marshall gets with Wahoo after the match for a quick interview. Wahoo says he'll never settle anything, but he might have to settle it with a gun, and he wants Manny Fernandez dead! Wahoo, as I mentioned before, you had never lost a strap match but the price you had to pay tonight, pal, I gotta ask you if it was worth it. Like I told you, I don't think this thing will ever be settled between Manny Fernandez and I, not in the ring, maybe somewhere, sometimes, maybe out behind a building here, maybe even with a gun in my hand, but I'll tell you one thing, this little strap match didn't settle anything between us tonight. He took a beating, I took a beating, but beating him's not what I want, brother, I want him dead. That's right, another murder threat on this pay-per-view. Wahoo McDaniel's just gonna go get a gun and kill Manny Fernandez. So, lucky for us, Manny Fernandez, still with us, was not killed by Wahoo McDaniel's later on with a gun. The AWA president, Stanley Blackburn, is backstage with Vern Gagne. They don't have a clue who's gonna win this unification match between the AWA champ and the WCWA champ, which is Von Erich. So, this interview meant nothing. Jerry Lawler is out first. He understands a lot of people like Kerry Von Erich, but tonight he's going to beat him, he says. Kerry then comes out in his robe to a decent reaction from the crowd. Kerry says he's going to kick Jerry's butt from one end of Chicago to the other, 
and gives the same promo about there's one Mona Lisa, there's one Eiffel Tower, there needs to be one champion. Kerry takes his championship title belt off very slowly and keeps his robe on. Kerry cut his arm to pieces taking his robe off because he was keeping his blade for later in the match in his robe. So he cut his arm, a very deep gash to one of his arms, before he even started the match. And somehow communicates this to Jerry. He eventually does take off his robe, but can't stop looking at this cut in amazement. In bewilderment, what did I do to my arm? Luckily, he communicated this to Jerry Lawler, who smashes Carrie's arm over the rope to sell this cut, so at least there's a reason in the match why he's bleeding from his arm. Carrie struts in the ring as if he may be under the influence. I'm thinking he is. A right hand from Von Erickson's Lawler reeling to regroup outside. Carrie is very distracted by the cut. Lee Marshall says these guys have defeated all the big names, but I don't think it's true in Von Erich's case. I don't think he beat Hogan or Macho Man. Lawler seems really confused about Kerry in this match. Kerry challenges him to a test of strength, which Lawler loses quite quickly. A discus punch from Kerry for a near fall. Kerry goes back to checking that bleeding arm, and Lawler goes and delivers some right hands. Since Kerry over the top, Kerry lands on his feet, thankfully, or his foot, as he only had one at this time and uses the time to regroup. Jerry Lawler takes another discus punch from Kerry out on the apron and tries a splash onto Lawler from the apron and fucks it all up as Kerry comes storming and tumbling into the ring and Lawler puts his knees up at the last second so it looks like he blocked it, but it was really just Kerry falling on his face here. Lawler calls for a pile driver and nails it. Kerry no-sells it. He gets right up, hits another discus punch, but Jerry kicks it too. A snapmare by Von Erich, and he goes for the Von Erich claw, but Lawler has it blocked, so he just throws some punches, misses a knee drop. Lawler covers Von Erich, but gets thrown into the ref, and gets pile-driven by Von Erich, which is terrifying given the state that Kerry is in, to let this man do a pile-driver to you. The ref tries to recover, but by the time he does, Lawler kicks out at two. They go out of the ring, and Kerry misses a discus punch and hits the post with his hand. Lawler pulls Nux out of his tights when they get back in the ring, and he drops a fist to the face of Von Erich off the second rope and is now gushing blood. And I mean, this is a bloodbath. This is scary how much Carrie bled here from his head. He was already bleeding from his arm, but now he has bladed all through his face. Lawler does it again, this time without the Nux. But Von Erich uses the claw on Lawler's belly for some reason. I don't know why you wouldn't just go for the... The head where you know it works. Lawler won't give up. Von Erich puts the claw on Lawler's face where it's meant to be. The ref checks Carrie's head, but Lawler gets his foot on the ropes. The ref checks Carrie's head again and says, oh, he's good to go. Carrie's, even though he is gushing blood, piles and piles of blood is how I would describe it. Carrie gives up the claw and Carrie gets shoved into the turnbuckle post to open him up some more. Lawler uses the Nux again. Lawler lets the ref check him for the Nux while he uses them again behind the ref's back. Fires off some piston punches to a downed Carry. Lawler does some boxing. Jukin and Jivan throws jabs and crosses at Carry, who misses another discus punch and goes down to the ground to get checked by the ref again. Lawler uses the Nux again and Carry rolls out of the ring to regroup. Marty Miller checks Carry again says, He's still fine. He's absolutely fine. This man who is, uh... Probably has no blood left in his body at this point. He's fine. He can keep going. Carrie hits a discus punch to Lawler in the corner. They land stereo right hands to each other and both go down. Marty Miller tells the world-class representative, Frank Dusick, who came out to make sure this match was on the up and up, that Von Erich is starting to get in trouble with his eye. Uh Uh-oh. Von Erich locks in the claw, and Miller is too distracted to notice that Lawler's shoulders are down and says Carrie can't continue 
because of the cut to his eye. So your winner and new unified champion is Jerry the King Lawler. What would end up happening is the AWA would just simply strip Lawler of the title in January, and Larry Zabisco would win it. But that was then, this is now. Kerry grabs the belts and leaves with both of them. What a sore loser here. Lee Marshall tells the crowd that Jerry Lawler is now the unified champ. Lawler tells the crowd it would be a terrible shame if Kerry lost that eye, because he would have blinded him if the ref didn't stop it. We go backstage with Kerry and Stanley, and Kerry thinks it was bullshit. Stanley said he told the ref to stop the match because of the... Strap match earlier tonight, there's too much blood. He didn't want it in the main event. So the president, Stanley here, is to blame for the fuck finish here. Stanley, you fucking bad president. Kerry should have just decked Stanley. That would have made me happy. Stanley says there will be a rematch. There eventually would. Too little, too late by the time they'd get around to it. Kerry recites the same promo again about the Eiffel Tower and the Mona Lisa, and leaves covered in blood. Larry says we only have one match to go, but there's no way that it'll top that one. Well, Larry, then why are we going to do another match? What is this match? That was the main event. They haven't said a word about whatever's coming next. It's the stud stable gonna take on the Rock and Roll Express, and the already sparse crowd starts leaving as you see the empty seats open up. Ricky Morton takes out the heels by himself, Golden and Fuller. They are the stud stable, as that is, uh, Robert Fuller would be better known as Colonel Parker, and, uh, Golden would become Bunkhouse Buck later on in their careers. They complain about their tights being pulled during the match. The stud stable does. Boring chance as Morton stays in with Golden and just stays on offense. Gibson comes in, does the crisscross with Robert Fuller until Jimmy Golden hits him from behind. Sylvia, who's the manager of the stud stable... Wallops Gibson with a kendo stick. That was her gimmick, carrying a kendo stick. Jimmy Golden comes back in the ring and applies a bear hug to Gibson. Sylvia wears Gibson's back out with the kendo stick behind the ref's back once again, and then he gets thrown to the outside. Fuller and Golden keep Gibson in their corner. Morton get the hot tag, take out the heels. Double drop kick to Golden, and Gibson takes Fuller out. The ref calls for the bell as they continue to brawl around the ring. The ref DQ'd both teams. No winner. A no contest to close out this night. Instead of your unifying title match, just another no contest, which would be a big theme of the night, as you've heard. Marshall interviews Morton. He wants to be five-time champs. The stud stable tell Larry they don't know why the match got stopped. Vern is with Marshall. Marshall says it was billed as an amazing night of action. Vern says, well, it was a night. Perfect. A perfect review, Vern Gagne. Thank you. It was a night. Vern says those guys that ran in on Sergeant Slaughter, he doesn't know how they got in here. Apparently they just bought a ticket and walked in. And then we're given promo time afterwards, so... Apparently a ticket gets you all that sort of access at Super Clash. So there you have it. That was AWA Super Clash 3, a terrible, dreadful, awful card. And it's one that I, I think I never want to see again. And now, in addition to it being a bad show, we had technical problems, so I had to do the last part by myself, and that is no fun. And also, it took me a while. I hated this show so much to sit down and edit our podcast was a real mental chore for me, and I didn't sit down and do it until a week later. So that tells you what I think about Super Clash 3. I would avoid it at all costs. You might want to check out the Lawler and Kerry Von Erich match because it is sort of a historically significant match, especially if you're a fan of Jerry Lawler in this title unification match, a true title unification match that lasted a month, but at the time you really thought this was something big. They had a weird finish, and they had a weird... I mean, Kerry Von Erich was in a state of mind that 
probably shouldn't be in when you're in a wrestling match, but that's how it went. Kerry Von Erich would go on to the WWF and have a brief but successful, fairly successful run before sadly losing his job with the company, then getting into some legal trouble and ultimately uh, committing suicide in uh, 1993. There you have it, Super Clash 3. I would have to say after watching All In, All In did a much better job than Super Clash 3, but the bar wasn't set very high. Now Patrick, on the other hand, is going to tell you he loved a lot of stuff on this card, including the Jimmy Valiant squash match. So if you are like Patrick, maybe you'll find a lot to like in this card, but for me... It just didn't do anything for me. And that's why on our rating scale of Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, I gave it a Bambi. I don't remember what Patrick gave it, so gonna give it a Sergeant Slaughter in Patrick's honor. So there you go. Super Clash 3, it was, uh, something. It really was something. In honor of Super Clash 3 and the threat of Wahoo McDaniels getting a gun and using it, I decided to take a look at the other infamous gun angle from Pro Wrestling. Pillman's got a gun. Raw from November of 1996. Pillman's Got a Gun is our next review on Retro Wrestling Podcast. So there you have it. I'm intern Alex. He was Patrick Young for half of the podcast. And that'll do it. Bingo, bango. We'll see you next week. December 13th, 1988 was the date of Super Clash 3, the big pay-per-view that the promoters were putting on to hopefully show the world that, man, they could compete with Vince McMahon. This is an event that we have been waiting for for months, ladies and gentlemen, and finally it is here. Are you ready, Chicago? I don't think it meant anything, the fact that AWA finally made it to a pay-per-view. I think they were following, obviously, instead of leading as far as that was concerned. Uh, it was a promotion with the, with the group out of Dallas uh, with the Memphis group and with the AWA. You got a promoter and Fritz von Erich. You got Jared down there and he's half egomaniac. And you're working with Vern, he's got an ego. And now you're gonna try and do a combined show. So it was Vern's attempt to kind of take the last of the remaining kind of independent promoters and territories, if you will, put them under one big umbrella and compete on pay-per-view. You've seen pay-per-view shows before where one man meets another man from the same organization. Come on, you've seen that five or six times already. I knew they couldn't order a cup of coffee together, much less work together, plan together, and have a united front. What we're talking about is a super clash. Not only a clash between great athletes, but a clash of organizations. That was impossible. I, I wasn't concerned with that at all. Our office, and I was in the territory at that time, uh, in Mid-South Wrestling, and, the, and then it became the UWF. Uh, we didn't participate in that. It was a joke. It had the potential of deriving huge dollars. They were hoping that this would lend them the credibility with the cable companies, if it were successful, that they would somewhere be able on one of the networks to get a weekly shot on, on cable. A giant night of wrestling, and each and every bit of it is live. I said live, right here in Chicago. Probably all the top talent that hadn't already signed with Vince McMahon was on this pay-per-view. Super Clash 3, the greatest event in all of professional wrestling. The AWA did not have the talent base that it had previously. The dynasty of the AWA had ended. I was the AWA world champion at the time. Kerry Von Erich was the WCCW world champion, and it was a unification match. This is the AWA World Heavyweight Championship belt. As far as I'm concerned, this signifies the best in the entire world. Kerry Von Erich has a version that he calls a world championship from world class. After Super Clash on December 13th, there will only be one champion. And I promise you, ladies and gentlemen, you are looking at him right now.
King was in a situation where he was a star of the Memphis Territory. And it was important for King to protect his image on this big show because he had to go back to Memphis with his image intact, so to speak, and still be the headliner on his weekly events. Kerry Von Erich had to go back to Dallas and make sure his daddy was happy. Coming into the super clash, he's thinking, am I gonna let my family down again? Kerry, you are. You're gonna lose, I promise you that. Man, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Nobody knew what was gonna happen in that match. I felt like I was in NATO, you know, or like the UN and everybody was, you know, in these high level meetings and everything was very secret. Everybody was very somber because these promoters, none of them really trusted each other. I feel without a doubt that Kerry Von Erich came to uh, uh, Chicago certainly believing that he was going to leave there the unified world champion. I have such high expectations tonight. I'm planning on taking that title. I've come here for one reason, and that is to show the world that there's only one world champion. Jerry Jarrett really wanted Lawler to have that championship. There's so much at stake here. We've been talking about things like this. I have for the last 35 years, the, the getting together of the leagues. And let's see, all right, let's see who is the best. Tonight, we're going to find out. I just felt that, you know, that Vern would not want to see his AWA championship get that big a loss pinned on it and, and then become a unified title that way. This is a match where two men are going to walk into the ring, both of them with belts. One man is going to walk out with two belts. It wound up being probably one of the bloodiest matches that I've ever been involved in. Lawler gripping Von Erich's left arm over the top rope, and he already cut it open. Yeah, he split it right Ooh. open. Lawler's running his tights after something. And down goes Von Erich. You're right, Lawler reaching into his tights. Oh. Von Erich's busted wide open. Von Erich's cut open. Now he's got it on his forehead. That's where the Iron Claw is most effective. Jerry Lawler's in a very bad way right now. Oh, but Marty Miller keeps looking at Von Erich's forehead. Lawler going back into his tights. And Lawler hits Von Erich again. Right hand again by Lawler. Out of the ring goes Von Erich. A dismiss punch by Von Erich. And still Marty Miller wants to check the eye of Kerry Von Erich. These guys are a bloody mess. And there's the Iron Claw again applied by Kerry Von Erich. Blood was pouring out of his head down into my face. I remember it to this day. And there's Marty Miller still checking the eye of Terry Von Erich. Marty Miller calling for the bell. The referee stops the match. Terry Von Erich unable to go on. He cannot perform, cannot see. The referee awards the match to Jerry the King. of a match and Lala retained the title the next thing you know the time goes by and no paid no pay no pay then I get a booking sheet from Vern Gagne showing me these dates and these uh, cities I'm supposed to go wrestle in and defend the AW or the unified title then you know I had the AWA and the WCCW title when Lawler was supposed to come back and wrestle our top guys here and would probably lose that title he didn't show up I'm not going to, and defending the title until I get the payoff from Super Clash. What else could we do? The AW, they had to strip him of the title. He wouldn't, he wouldn't come up here and wrestle. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I don't think Lawler's ever been paid yet.
I still had the AWA championship belt at my home in Memphis. So once I won it at, at Super Clash, I, I never went back and, and worked for Vern Gagne again. So can you imagine? It's 20 plus years later, whatever it's been, and he still hasn't been paid. I think the biggest mistake that Vern Gagne made with Super Clash 3 was the fact that he pretty much alienated himself from all the other promoters when that uh, pay-per-view was over. Quite frankly, he stiffed everybody. Vern was so far back up against the wall, he decided I'm gonna stick the money in my pocket. Uh, whether that was the case or not, that's what I heard. Did Vern protect Vern first? Absolutely. But does Vince McMahon protect Vince McMahon first? Does Vince McMahon protect the WWE first and foremost? Absolutely. To the best of my knowledge, no one was paid anything for Super Clash 3. It basically turned out to be a flop. Ultimately, it, it didn't deliver the kind of revenue and the numbers that everybody had hoped it would. As I recall, they weren't distributed very widely. It probably did a, a quarter of the buy rate that the WWE was doing at the time or the NWA was doing at the time. The wrestlers all knew that the AWA was falling apart at the seams. And the pay-per-view numbers weren't that bad. But you got to remember, Vince had a pay-per-view going, and Crockett Group had one going. So we're kind of, they sandwiched us right in between them. And Vince was a master at doing that. People spent $39.95 the night before. How are you going to get another $24, $25 bucks on them the next day? He made it very difficult for you to be successful. It was the first and last attempt uh, to, to unify all these different independent promoters under one banner. Politics and ego have been a bigger issue, a bigger detriment to our business, quite frankly, than, uh, than injuries and money, in my estimation.